Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. I'm Matt. And I'm Ben. Welcome, Ben. Ben. Uh, so science or Spectology is a science fiction book club podcast. Each month we pick a book, read it, and talk about it over the course of two episodes. This month, our book, as selected by our guest, Ben, uh, is The Ghost Network by Katie DiSabato. Uh, we are in our post-read episode, so this episode will be spoilers essentially from the get-go. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to have it spoiled for you in any way, I would recommend listening to our pre-read episode, which we published at the beginning of February and is a um, spoiler-free discussion about the book, why you might want to read it, some kind of stuff context related to the book. Uh, ben is also on that one, so um, we talk with him about uh, kind of his background and the games he makes and stuff like that, too. So, Ben, I don't know if you want to do like a kind of mini introduction of yourself this time and folks can go listen to that episode for the like much longer version. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. A mini a mini introduction of me is uh, my name is Ben Roswell. I my pronouns are he him. Um, I'm a games writer and sometimes poet, sometimes fiction writer. It's a mix of things. Um, and... I'm really into weird books that do a lot of info dumping on you. <laughs> Are you into Detournement? <laughs> yeah. Do you like um, to derive? Yeah, I was going to exactly. say that derive is the... I mean, that's what games writing is, right? <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, so also, where, where can folks find you online just for that? We'll, we'll do that stuff now. I know there's you have the itch account and uh, Twitter. Yeah. Um... You can find me on Twitter at Roswell Writes, where I tweet about game design and trans issues and stuff. Um, and you can find my games and some of my writing at roswellians.itch.io. And uh, I got a lot of free stuff if you want to like just check out what experimental games look like right now. So. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. So we talk in the pre-read about a lot of the games that we like, like building private cathedrals and stuff. Uh, there's some really cool stuff that I'm sure will come up in some of the context of discussing this book. But um, I really recommend for our listeners to go check out Ben's work. It's it's really cool. It's I've really liked it. That's why I invited him on the podcast. Um, that's about it for me. Cool. Well, so should we do, I think we kind of start off this with our, um, well, we should do content warnings first and then do our mini reviews, sort of like each of us talk for a few minutes about what we liked about the book, what we didn't like, how we feel about it. Um, content warning wise, I think uh, the big thing that stood out to me is there are a couple of like mentions of suicide, including some more graphic like on screen suicide that happens in this novel. Uh, um, Architectural so sex architectural sex yeah i don't know if or that psychogeographic sex <laughs> right. i don't know yeah there's definitely like kinky sex that happens on screen as well i had a moment of like deep embarrassment reading this book last night <laughs> realizing that i had asked you to read this book <laughs> um i mean it's it's not the worst weird sex book i've ever read but there is definitely some weird sex in here that i had totally not budgeted my emotional embarrassment meter for <laughs> that i mean that's funny because i actually that 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 stuff didn't really even 
like rise to the level of weird sex on on page for me so i don't think you need at least for me like i felt none of that yeah there's i guess there's two things you might mean by that i'll ask you which it is either it might be that like the sex is like so hilariously unsexy that it's funny or weird or strange or you might mean that the sex is like like you know like such a deep cut fetish that it's like strange I don't know. Do you mean one of those? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess the thing is, like, I got to the, since we're full spoilers already, I got to the part yeah. where they're introducing uh, Krauss and Berliner's relationship and, like, and the the way that relationship works. Right. And um, she, she finishes, they finished having sex and then she's like, yes, and I'm really into architectural fetishes. <laughs> and actually, you have to also be into this if you're going to date me. Right. And yeah. I was, that's where I hit, like, it wasn't even like, I wasn't like embarrassed by the, the kink or anything. It was just like such an intense moment of like, <laughs> I've asked these two people who I'd like to be friends with, but I'm not friends with yet to read this book. Oh, don't worry at all. I yeah, was very, no, I was very fine with it. <laughs> I, 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 it would actually, I, the reason I sort of cautiously asked you that question a second ago was because I was like, like my reaction to this was like, okay. <laughs> and, and I wasn't sure if you had like a much stronger reaction to it for some reason. No, I was, I was actually like, I, like it was less, it was more a, like a, I guess what's which is interesting if we're gonna get into talking about performance and like how we everything is a performance, but like it was a moment out of like oh this really bothers me, but what if this bothers other people? Oh totally, mm. totally. Yeah, well, that'll that'll be a good that'll be mm. good discussion fodder. Mm. I want to just really quickly. Uh, are there any other content warnings that we need to get out of the way before we talk about that stuff? I can't think of anything in particular. Uh, there's you know. there's a lot of substance use in this oh, yeah um and uh there's like there's like some pretty graphic on-screen suicide but there's also like the kidnapping semi-metaphorical suicide. well the, the 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 violence relating to the kidnapping may be yeah maybe tough yeah Right, for right. Some. Yeah. Oh, that's all good points. Yeah, the 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 kidnapping is particular is actually pretty intense, and the yeah. um, the yeah, there's a lot of both like graphic on screen suicide as well as just like discussion of people committing suicide, like a lot yeah. of different people committing suicide. Suicide tends to be like a theme of this novel, like straight up. So I think that that yeah. is something we'll also end up talking a lot about in this episode, um, which is yeah. worth noting for anyone listening. I have a I have a bunch of thoughts, especially relating to like the ending. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So yeah. um, with all of that, I am curious how people like enjoyed the book. Read like sort of the mini review sections. I don't know who wants to go first. I'll go. Sure. Um, I thought the book was I had a, a middling view. I think there are some things I liked and some things I didn't like. Um, I enjoyed reading it. I, 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 um, I think, you know, I think the, the big thing that I liked was talking about like weird, like fringe Marxist groups <laughs> that are actually real. Like the situation is sort of a real thing. And the Letterist International was a real thing. Guy Debord is a real guy and all these things. And like talking about weird sort of 
architecture stuff and like a lot of the postmodern framing of the things where it's you know narratives within narratives and people questioning each other's the sort of various author figures questioning each other's motives and like wondering about like the nature of the the narrative itself i like all that stuff a lot um like a thing that i didn't really like was i think some of the main relationships in the book don't quite make sense to me um Hmm. in particular like you know I don't understand why anyone would join the new situationists. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I don't feel like I don't feel like there was enough like justification given or at least enough emotional landscape, you know, drawn out mm-hmm. to explain why any of these characters had such strong feelings about wanting to go to uh, New Babylon or wanting to give up their entire lives as they do. Um, you kind of spend a lot of the book uh, to, to my to my in my reading, like I felt like I spent a lot of the book feeling like at some point I'm going to learn more about some of these characters that will explain why they're doing this. And then I never did. And then they did even more things that I even that I understood even less, like at the very end when um, the when uh, when uh, they finally find Molly. Right. Right. Or they finally go down to the underground train station. Um, and like, you know, <laughs> like like the, the decision to go to New Babylon at that point makes no sense to me. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Oh. Um, I, I don't understand why uh, why anyone would do that. Um, and, and so like it, it doesn't it's not so much like the reason that that it was that was a thing that I didn't like wasn't that I thought that it's dumb for a book to have someone do something like that. It was more like I didn't think the book um, created characters that I could believe would do something like that. Um, It felt like something was missing from this sort of justification part. But um, I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Yeah, it's not like I didn't. I mean, I had a good time reading it. I just felt like there's some stuff missing, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Ben, do you want to go? Yeah, yeah, I have I have some thoughts. So I think I talked about this on the recording last time, but like I I read most of this book, like maybe like a little bit more than half or like into part two, but not very far into part two, like a couple of years ago and really enjoyed it. But I have ADHD and have trouble finishing books, um, even if I'm really enjoying them. And uh, just because like a new thing will come along and I'll get distracted or something will interrupt my hyper focus and I'll I'll and so like I was really excited to come back to it and read it and found myself enjoying it a lot less than I did the first time I read it um and have some complicated feelings about the end I think that I probably might not have had Mm. the first time I read this I I mean I don't I didn't really get to the end the first time I read this I I can't say what my reaction would have been but like I feel like a lot more critical about the way I'm very interested in like sort of the philosophical backbone of this novel. And I really like the style, um, like this, the style of like the long sections of like facts and biographies and sort of stuff. It's like a a style that I enjoy. Um, Mm -hmm. But like found myself being a lot more critical of the, the pieces that were brought up and how they were used and perhaps a little bit critical of sort of like the social commentary that was going on. I found the philosophical commentary quite sound, but 
I think exactly what you were saying, which is like some of the like social commentary as to why people would do these things, like I found that kind of off. Um, I can, I have like specific examples I want to point to, but that's not the point of a brief review section. But like, I, I think that overall it like, it's like, it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird book and I don't know if it does what it wants to do. Like, and I don't know if it grapples with all the like implications of the things it brings up in a way that it, that is satisfying. Like, um, I, I know Mm. we're going to talk about the end. We have to talk about the ending, but like, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it grapples with like the enough with like the, the metaphorical suicide at the end, like, because there's, there's like actual suicide in this book but there's also like these characters choosing to remove themselves from the world even if it's not like a literal death Mm. and i i don't know if it grapples with that enough to make that the ending (laughs) yeah uh, i don't know that's where i'm at yeah that that is that makes a lot of sense so i think that um it's interesting hearing this because I feel like all three of us had a similar reaction, but about different parts of it. Um, for instance, like mm-hmm. I, so my my uh, like I generally also felt kind of like like middle ground on this book, where like there were parts that I really liked, parts that I really didn't like, or I I wouldn't even say I don't think there were any parts that I really didn't like. I, I think it was more that like there were parts that I found more interesting and parts that I found less interesting. Like some of the book had a hard time of keeping my attention. I would say like I read part one very slowly over like a lot of different sessions and a part of that was this way of like nothing in part one ever really kept like had this like narrative propulsiveness that made me want to keep reading at any point it wasn't it was bad or even uninteresting it was just that like i'd read a chunk and i'd set it down i wouldn't think like oh i want to read more of that right now um i read part two partially through necessity because like you know it was earlier this morning and i'm like oh man i still have like 25 percent of this book left i need to finish it before we record uh as i tend to do for this stupid podcast (laughs) uh and then um but i i also found that 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 like i really did feel that the for me the narrative and my interest in the book really kicked up in the last like 30 40 percent of the Mm -hmm. book uh like the last third of it were really was really where it started like i became more and more interested and began enjoying it more and more and i felt kind of like like i felt like there were pacing problems i guess is is kind of what i'm Mm -hmm. saying we're like I wished that I had been more invested in it early on, earlier on in some elements of it so I could have like sustained some of the like long info dumpy stuff better rather than having that come up first and like having to sustain through that to get to right like I just found this kind of like push and pull of that like awkward for me to read uh and then also I um on the other hand I thought it made perfect sense to me why like Kate would like want to join new Babylon. Like, <laughs> like I found the motivations of the characters, like in really? some ways really, um, what like, like relatable. And in, in particular, like I felt that Kate was someone who was drawn as like, um, 
you know, obsessive to the point of being self-destructive and also like very unsatisfied with her life in a way that she couldn't put her finger on and couldn't like describe very well about herself, even as she is someone who like makes a living describing things. And um, that all just felt very like relatable, quite frankly, and very like truly realized in a way to me. So like her being the one to join new Babylon and like in the way that she did, like, actually made a ton of sense to me while at the same time I kind of agree that like the sort of like metaphorical suicide thing is like dropped on you right at the last minute as like this kind of like yeah as this end element of the book as opposed to like a theme and like it's clearly then at that point you realize been a theme that's been running through the book the whole time but it does kind of feel underexplored in that way. And so I, I agree with you on that, that in some ways that the thematic ending didn't fit that great to me in the way that like maybe the plot ending did. And, and yeah, and I don't know, I think too, I, so I would give it like a, I I feel like I want to give this book like a, you know, a letter grade of for some reason where it's like, I really liked what it was trying to do. And I felt that the execution was like better and worse in different ways and like not great necessarily. All right. So that's really interesting because I feel like I feel like we're like three points of a triangle where all of us agree on two things. But none of us agree on all, all of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Because I, yeah. what's really interesting about that is that I also trouble with the pacing, but I really enjoyed the first part. And then once it got to be kind of thriller ish, was much less into it. Um, I mean, we're get, like, my favorite books are like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell and Neil Stevenson. Like, I'm not one to throw stones, yeah. like, at pacing. <laughs> um, I'm there with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, I, I enjoyed the first half because it felt like it was, like, to to return to the central metaphor of the book, like, it felt like it was, like, laying out a map and it wanted me to look at all the pieces and, like, to really, mm-hmm. to really, like, get my hands on, like, the pieces of this mystery. And then it became, like, a feud over art and paychecks and stuff with the dancers. And, like... Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm suddenly, like... I guess in some sense that makes a lot of sense because, you know, art is bound up in money and you can't have... You can't have, like, this sort of, like, utopian art thing without capitalism getting involved at least in this world like it makes sense but i kind maybe not in new babylon is maybe not in new babylon <laughs> but i kind <laughs> of wanted to live in the the world of the first half of the book where it's it's big pieces of like art history just sort of like shoved in there and you don't have to worry about the real world you could just think about like debord and his group of drunk like arguing philosophers for a while so can i can i mount a like a little bit of a defense but like like agreeing with you but like also part of what i i liked about the book kind of like devolving into these petty squabbles is that like you know when we learn art history we learn it from this vantage point of like oh it's the past and like we know who is important and we have this kind of narrative pre-built about that and we have this narrative that's often like shaped by the people they were there for very like purposeful reasons right um 
but like the truth is that like a large amount of that art history like also like at the time period was also petty squabbles amongst like immature people over like secrets and paychecks like all that stuff happening in the second half of this novel is also like stuff that happened through art history and like we kind of like like don't talk about or like gets put in these terms that make it sound really important because it was really important to the people who like you know recorded the history in these kind of over dramatic ways so i actually kind of in like that bit of like you know it's like the stuff we're learning about in this novel and the kind of present present time period i guess 2010 to 2009 kind of time period is like the real version that will like later get told and kind of like these hushed tones about like that's just about the kind of art and what it means instead of like oh yeah it was really it was like you know these dancers got like angry that they were no longer in her inner circle and like the way that they wanted to be Right. And like those kind of petty squabbles will like fall away and we'll just get the, you know, sort of like academic like tones about, you know, like what New Babylon really meant and that kind of thing. So I I guess I appreciated that to a degree, if that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. Like, I think that I guess one of the things that like half frustrated me that I half enjoyed, half frustrated me about this book, which is about everything in this book Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Is that like I? The thing is, like I, the book. I feel like, especially a lot of the the book is very naive. I think. I think it has a very like naive view yeah. of fame yeah. and what totally and what I couldn't agree more. <laughs> what, sorry, <laughs> and I probably also agree with you on that. And and what <laughs> and too. what celebrity like means, like especially I think in the light mm-hmm. of like seeing what celebrity has become in like twenty twenty, you know, um. Yeah. In the latter half of the decade, like I think that this has like a very naive view of what celebrity means. Right? You know, that that brings up something that I that I that I was thinking about a lot. Um I there was a lot of stuff in the just sort of design of the character of Miranda Young slash Molly Metropolis that, you know, obviously reminds you of like other real people. But yeah. I didn't really get it until I was talking about this with my partner and she brought up um Selena Quintanilla Paris, the the like as in Selena, as in like the 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 like pop star who was murdered by her disgruntled assistant in the nineties, who spawned oh. that J Lo film about it, and like all the, like it's this huge thing in the nineties, and like if you read the Wikipedia page about the murder of Selena, like it's like a way more interesting and like insane version of a big part of this book. But mm. it actually happened. And some of the things that are that are that are kind of really interesting about this sort of real thing that seems and because what I had been thinking when I was reading the book before I learned about Selena, which, you know, I didn't know anything about her or this event. But I, I thought a little bit about like Tupac or Lady Gaga. And like the reason I thought about Tupac was because of the like disappearance slash death and all the conspiracy theories surrounding it. Like, you know, that that made me mm-hmm. think of that. Um, and I thought about Lady Gaga because of like calling the fans monsters and, you know, like the the timing of the book and and like the sort of the the pop right. art stuff. Um, right. I mean, Lady Gaga has an album called art pop that was released around the right. same time as this book right, right. there's right. also i want to point out like janelle monet yeah. has a song called dance apocalyptic that was yeah i thought, I thought it was like was. a very specific yeah, right. like i thought essentially like um i thought it was a very specific callback to janelle monet but i actually think like not to 
I feel like, wow, I feel like we're going to get really negative about this book. And I, I do want to reiterate that I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, no, I know. But, yeah, like, yeah. Right. but like, I do think that like, she kind of made a less interesting version of Janelle Monet and like a less interesting version of Beyonce. Like there's something like, it's like a very specific like callback to Beyonce, like all the stuff about like right at the end of part two where they're talking about her like fights with her like producers and like oh yeah totally and like and her racial heritage and her racial heritage and like the secret dropping of videos and like betting on how well things are Mm -hmm. gonna do is like so clearly like about like beyonce right oh yeah totally. and then and so then it's like it's like so you you made somebody who's like a less interesting Janelle Monet, like a less interesting Beyonce, like a less interesting Lady Gaga, like the Selena stuff. I think is really interesting, actually, mm-hmm. um, because it relates specifically to the like disappearance and the conspiracy theories and the like disgruntled, like the actual sort of plot of things that happens at the end. Um, and so the the reason the the reason I think it's it's especially interesting is because like a big part of a big part of what actually happened um, was the connection between selena and her fans and community um like in the actual and and that's that's also true for all these other real pop stars like the sort of the like actual connections between the various like celebrities and their communities in the, in the case of selena she has this very she's like i was a tejano woman and so she had this very strong connection to this like minority community and her music was mostly popular or like especially popular there and so like there was a racial element in like the reaction to her death in a big way mm. um and the, and you know obviously with Beyonce there's all kinds of racial politics going on in lots of different ways throughout her career and like I just think it's interesting to think about the way that this book kind of like starts out having a lot about this pop star and by the end of the book like the pop star is sort of gone and like they're, they're just like Molly Metropolis is like not important anymore. Like she's not her connection to her community, her fans. That's not like a, a, at issue anymore by the end. It's instead it's just about situationism or new situationism and like these individual characters decisions to like become invested or or not invested in, indi- in and then the individual characters who are not situationist decisions to like be against it, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I just like it's kind of an interesting thing to think about how the, the the sort of the whole book kind of turns and like it starts out with all this stuff about pop and all this stuff about the nature of celebrity and and fan community and like the relationships between these things. And then it just that stuff fades away. Right. You're so I really agree with, with that. I also just think about like how all of the people who sort of like accepting Selena because she is dead but like in the pa- in the 5 years since this book came out like all the other people that this sort of references like Lady Gaga all of those like have become i, I don't want to say like more commercial but more commercial or like like we've seen increasingly blazingly like Janelle Monet and Beyonce's like intertwinement with like consumerism. Hmm. Um, like especially thinking about like how like Lemonade, like Lemonade came out and then um Dirty Computer came out, right? But then at the same mm-hmm. time, like we're also 
Janelle Monet stopped like her her iconic like she stopped only wearing suits to things, which was like right. a big part of her iconography for a long time. And Beyonce like did this whole thing with Lemonade about like <laughs> dump like dumping her husband, but then didn't really do it. And then like the new thing with Beyonce is like her clothing line, but she's like really messing up with it and like it's it's so clearly becoming like this like both of them becoming like this like almost marketing scheme in in a way that's like very very brazen Hmm. and like i i this like this book imagines a, a world in which celebrity stops before it becomes that right like molly metropolis disappears before she can become a tool of the like of the industry right Mm -hmm. and like i think that like in one way that that's what really disappointed me about this book is that by removing themselves from the world like these characters refuse to actually like change what it means to make art (laughs) right like you either die young or you become the villain Right. <laughs> and like, and I think that part of like the message of this book is that like, y- y- if you want to remain pure, you do, ha- you have to remove yourself, right? Like the, the only people who like sort of remain pure in their artistic, artistic like journey in this book are the like invisible new situationists, right? The people who like completely remove themselves from like the, the public angle of art. And I am kind of disappointed in that because I would, I'm more like, I kind of think that's true. Like if you stay, you have to grapple with these things. Like if you leave, you're choosing not to like grapple with the way that art and capitalism intertwines or the way Mm -hmm. that city and transportation intertwines with capitalism. And I, I don't know, like I, I, I'm not ever going to be somebody who removes myself from the world. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, there's an element of fantasy about it. I think, I mean, cause we never even meet the characters, like even to the other characters, the new situationists are, are like these fantastical creations. Like Molly Metropolis is of course a celebrity and a pop star and, and like is larger than life to the other characters. But, um, the, the new situationists are also larger than life to the other characters. They're, they're these sort of, you know, mysterious, unknown creatures with these like weird, unknown agendas. And certainly they're attractive to the characters, but like, they're also like, they're not even made to be like flesh and blood, you know, they're never, they're never made real, even as Molly sort of is. Um, so like the idea that there's this utopian community out there somewhere, maybe we know where it is, but you can't go there, you know, is, I mean, it's, I, I think that's, it's it's definitely not uh it's it's a it's a different tone from the sort of detailed descriptions of how Molly makes her videos and like her relationships with her other members of her you know uh, management management team and so forth like it's a different tone it's a tone of fantasy and like like almost like wish fulfillment yeah um, I guess that's what I that's what I was trying to get at when I was calling it naive right like that like yeah. there's power in fantasy. But at the end of the day, like, you're right. This like this. It does read as fantasy. Mm -hmm. I think there's something. Well, you know, there's something utopian about the idea of New Babylon, about this idea of this like 
city outside of the big spectacle or whatever it's called, right? Like, like the whole thing with the situationists and the new situationists as they're presented in the book is that they're utopian to some degree. However, in never actually showing us new Babylon, I think the book is trying to maybe have its cake and eat it too, or the sense yeah. of like, oh, there is this utopia, but I don't need to describe it in any way, right? In fact, it's it's hidden and secret such that like you have to kind of take my word that it's utopian in these ways. And I and I, you know, I I, I understand that desire maybe to some extent because I think there's also a lot of problems of like trying to describe utopia you know always that gets caught up in the weeds of like will this work or not which is maybe like not the point that you want to get across but I but I I feel I guess I'm I feel some of the same dissatisfaction but maybe in this kind of slightly different at this slightly different piece of like in having this utopia that is entirely unexamined and entirely like unpresented, right? Like it's almost like the book saying like there can be better ways or like characters in the book saying there can be better ways, but not presenting that in any way. And I think I find that mildly disappointing or mildly frustrating. Like I, I like science fiction in particular. I mean, getting back to science fiction book club <laughs> podcast piece that uh, like when it does take maybe some like big swings to say, hey, this isn't working, but like maybe this other thing could, or like let's try to like examine the ways in which the society might work and might not work. And in having this kind of, you know, almost like Randian secret city, right? Like it reminded me of nothing of like Galt's Gulch in um, Atlas Shrugged, which I read in high school because I'm a masochist. Um, But like, (laughs) but not presenting it in any way and not giving any actual sort of like positive vision for what it looks like. I think that there's like a maybe missed opportunity is the right word. Like I don't, I don't put it as like a heavy mark against the book so much as like this kind of lingering feeling of like ways in which the ending didn't work for me. Uh, Like that sense of like, Oh, I'm going to hint at like that this place is real and like difficult, but also like satisfying, but not like tell you what that means in any way. It's sort of yeah. like, mm. I will say too, I think that, you know, and, and I think this ties into this point about like, you know, also it's this presentation of this like artist who gets to like always be uncompromising because she chooses to leave right like i feel like there's some element of like that same kind of dissatisfaction of like okay but what does it look like when actually the artist doesn't choose to leave you know i might actually defend um like i love janelle monet and i might defend her a little bit like i think she is maybe like in like both her and beyonce like okay sure they have their problems like they're working within a capitalist machine at the same time like there are two like black female artists who have been able to like in some ways go more independent, right? Like Janelle Monet has Wonderland records. Like she does have a lot of control over her own image. And so when she has begun wearing dresses, for Mm -hmm. instance, and like, you know, the, the uh, way you make me feel like the, the video for that. I mean, like it was astounding to me when I watched it, when it came out, because it was the first time she'd ever been overtly like sexual Mm -hmm. in any way. Um, but also, like, I get the feeling that that comes from a really authentic place for her from her. Yeah. Right. And I and I, I kind of like I appreciate that. And I, and I think there's something about that that is mm-hmm. that is interesting, I guess. And like maybe not as black and white as like, oh, she is, you know, like this. I, I don't get the sense that like, oh, the studios have given her notes that like, oh, you need to be more sexy to sell. Yeah, records. more like I was. I think you're absolutely right. I think more what I was getting at is like the demystification of 
of the icon. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. that both Beyonce and Janelle Monae have like worked very hard to become like iconic. And then over the last few years, because of like the breakdown of privacy and like the technology age and stuff have like, yeah. we'll, we'll still both maintaining the artistic integrity. Both of them have lost the like, the like kind of pure iconography that they, they had like maintained. In a in a way that's like very. Mm-hmm. That's what I was trying to get at more, like the the image of them rather than their actual artistic output. So that makes perfect sense, and I think that that is that is a way in which this book, just like you know, five years later, feels incredibly dated, right? Like in some ways, this mm-hmm. book feels like it was written about like a two generations ago, just <laughs> in that it's writing about celebrity and the internet, and just like. Yeah, I mean, listen, like I was a fucking like internet monster in like 2008, 2009, 2010, like the time period that this book takes place. Like I remember what it was like to exist on the internet at these times. And like, you know, I mean, it was the, the, the gawker and blogs were at this kind of like, like on this cresting wave, they weren't even at the peak yet, but you could feel them gathering steam and the sense of like, this is what the future of like, you know, music journalism is going to be is like Brooklyn vegan and, you know, like, all, all of these like blogs that I used to read about music and, you know, pitchfork, etc. like Gawker is like the future of news. Like you have this sense of this kind of like wave that's swelling. And, you know, I guess when this book was written and published, like I get the sense that this book was written as that wave is like still kind of on the way up, but is published right as it's cresting. And, like, now we're reading it after the wave has, like, fallen and the tide has pulled back out. And it's this really kind of interesting, like, moment in time of looking at, like, like, in some ways, this book is, like, a period piece about this period that was less than 10 years ago. Yeah. Like, in some ways, this book is, like, a really interesting documentary about, like, the way that celebrity and, like, the internet worked for, like three fucking years (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that's i think that's very true i mean a character uses an ipod in this like molly is concerned with how expensive a two disc set would be and yet she's on twitter she's on twitter like talking to our pop eaters and like quoting new like the situationalists on twitter and so it's like it's like this like very much like a pocket moment like where physical music sales still matter but will the internet exist yeah (laughs) but like that's what 2009 was too i mean like that's how that fucking world existed in look i'm 22 i was 11 in 2009 (laughs) like i i didn't ever like i i don't know in my life i went from cassettes to cds to like iPods to iPhones to Spotify, like, you know, like, but I wasn't on the internet, like in the same way that y'all were in 2009. Right. I mean, I think I was 22 in 2009. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's correct. I was also, we were the same age. (laughs) I also remember this. I, I had a slightly different experience only in that, like I was extremely online at that point. 
in a way that I very much am not now and have not been for a little while. <laughs> um, but I was not into pop music. Like I did right. not care about pop music at that point. And so I don't, I didn't have the experience of being in this world. So to me, it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's like kind of hearing, I, I hear about it from other people. Like I heard the story of Selena from my partner or like, I, you know, like I, I, eventually have heard i've heard a lot of things about beyonce because it's hard not to but i i I don't know i mean it's not like i have anything against her it's just not my world so for me it's a very anthropological experience to go back and be like yeah i remember some of these things and i I knew people who did that you know (laughs) yeah that's interesting that's really wild i mean i've always been like someone who really enjoys following pop like i find pop culture really fascinating even if I don't actually like listen to that much pop music. I mean, I do some. We've talked about it a little bit um, the stuff that I like, and I, I I actually really like the pop music that's coming out right now. I feel like pop music is there's some really cool, fun stuff happening. But like, well, this is a question I actually had, if you don't mind. Um, do yeah, you think yeah. that there exists like is Billie Eilish now or somebody else like in her position now like. It, does there still exist a, a, a pop cultural icon in our age now that could be similar to? Uh, like a pop culture icon of that time. Um, is it like fundamentally different now or is it just like kind of by coincidence, a lot of these people we remember from back then or who were around back then have changed, their careers have changed, their relationship with their no, fans No, it's fundamentally changed. different now. Yeah. It's fundamentally different. Th- there are people who like get close to it, but like it's just, everything is so, both so obscured and so transparent at the same time now. Mm-hmm. Like the the person I was thinking about, like, I was thinking a lot about Little Nas X (laughs) Uh, while I read this because, like, a lot of the the talks about, like, directing your own videos and developing, like, a futurist aesthetic are things that he is doing right now in the pop scene, but he is not doing it at all at the level of, like, obscurity or obfuscation. I can't pronounce that freaking word, but, like... No, you did it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, but, like... His whole life is on Twitter, right? Like, and like, mm-hmm. he, like he he is doing much of the same thing that like Molly Metropolis or Janelle Monae did like back then. Uh, but like, not at all in the same way. <laughs> like, he's doing it, but what it means now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and he, you know, it's interesting because, like, what, like, he does obfuscate in some ways, right? I mean, like, there was a whole big thing on Twitter, but he does it publicly, right? right. And like, knowingly, like, there's a whole thing on Twitter about like when when Old Town Road came out of like, what does Old Town Road mean? And like, he would like once a week post like Old Town Road means X, where X was different every single time. Right. And it was this like in joke that he was a part of that everyone's like, oh, what do these lyrics mean? And the joke is sort of like, I don't know, I was sitting in my bedroom kind of like sad and like rapping to myself and like that's what came out and like playing too much of the like, you know, new, new, what's that cowboy game that he was playing? Red Red Dead Dead Redemption. Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, it was like he was playing a video game and like being sad and gay in his bedroom and like that's what happened is those lyrics, but it's not like they mean anything in this way people want, but like that conversation is one that then he is a part of and he is like poking fun at and also like engaging with and encourage. And it's like all this stuff happens in just like a very different, both cultural context and also one in which like the artist is like more, 
not approachable even, but like more engaged publicly engaged in the like doing of that like no longer do they have to like sit aside and whisper into someone else's ear to answer the question like they can answer it themselves and just not answer it like they can do the kind of bullshitting themselves um and also like these kids are really good at it right like little Nas X and Billie Eilish are like they grew up in this context of like this is the language they speak natively so they can like do it before they hit famous they they get it really quickly yeah i was also thinking about like little nas x is like obfuscation of his sexuality like in a, mm. in a very and like i i actually like i have some thoughts about like queerness in this book um, yeah, yeah, that's a whole that's a that's a whole good topic. I, I like and some critique of it, but like, but like this, the, like to lead into that using little Nas X as our our object of of like critique or study, like mm-hmm. because like there's this whole thing where like he's like he came out in the interview, but then like the tweet on Twitter was like y'all I thought I made it obvious, and then it's like pointing to a rainbow in the back of his album cover, and then like. There's a whole thing where there was like a video of him at a strip club and he looks really disinterested and people are like, why do you look so bored? And he's like, well, because I'm, you know, and then he posts a picture of like, uh, like SpongeBob's, a SpongeBob hand, but the nails are painted. <laughs> and then like, and so it's, it's becomes like, like he is, he has become like an object of like a queer, a queer person in like the, in the complex scene of like queer celebrity culture. Mm-hmm. without ever like owning up to anything or saying anything like very substantial about his sexuality and i super respect that because like queer people are constantly like examined and right. held up to and stand- like hounded for like what's your specific label that you need to know right now and tell me right exactly and exactly so like i super respect it in a way that like but like it is it is him being very open will also playing a game to keep from being put into boxes. Yeah. And I, and I think that that mm. is like, there's something about queerness in this book and about how it can't be mapped. Right. Like, or like people who, who find themselves on the outside of society, like, because there's, there's Woodyard and Cyrus and they're like right. messed up relationship, which is like told as a metatextual layer to like, Tear and Nix's relationship. Mm-hmm. And then, like... Which is also, like, a fucked up relationship which is, from the beginning. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> which is, like, another <laughs> fucked up relationship. And something about, like, how, like, these queer characters are drawn to a situation that cannot be mapped or, like, cut or, like, examined or cut up and put into boxes. And, like... Mm. And... And yet this book, like, also kind of uses queerness as, like, a, a building block in in a way that made me kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> like... How, how so? I'm curious what you mean I mean, there's one specific thing I'm thinking about, which is that, like, there's, like, a huge, like, two-page thing where they're talking about Antoinette... Um, yeah, Antoinette oh, de Monson. Antoinette yeah, de Monson. Totally. And they, and they right. like, and they, like, attribute her her his or her making of bad maps to gender trouble yeah i remember that and like and like 
And then it goes on to talk about, like, oh, well, her, like, their gender cannot be mapped. And so, like, it doesn't really matter whether Antoinette was a boy or a girl because, like, gen- like because they're the same person in the eyes of Molly Metropolis, who is, like, the character who is most connected to that that character mm-hmm. centuries later. And I, and I kind of, like, got a little uncomfortable there because you're, like, saying, like, okay... Like, it doesn't, this person's, like, possible identity is just, like, a theory that we can abandon. In some ways, it's cool because you're saying, okay, it doesn't matter because we appreciate them for whoever they were, right? Like, whoever this weird map maker was. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, but then if it doesn't matter, then, like, why are we attributing, like, why are we even suggesting that her work might be attributed to gender trouble? Which is, like, also just a terrible phrase that I hate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that phrase was something else, man. <laughs> and and so, like, and then, like, and then you're having, like, and then you're, like, you're looking into, like, this, like, messy lesbian relationship at the core of this book, which is it then becomes, like, this sort of like metaphor for a disagreement about what utopia is going to be like. Yeah. I, to me, a lot of what you're talking about kind of, I totally agree with, and it gets back to like the, the kind of holes that I felt in the characters themselves in, in Kate and in Gina, like why do they do any of this stuff is a question that I don't know how to answer. Like, like, okay, they're obsessed, but like, what is it that makes them obsessed with this? Like, what is it that makes their relationship, like their relationship in a, in a way, Gina and, and, and Kate's relationship is actually like in some ways better than the other relationships in the book in that it's like not better, but like it's more, it's better explained than the other relationships in the book because you, you get a lot more of them on screen. You get them like actually like meeting and like their first interactions and like how they like get in bed with each other and like, okay, we're getting more information here. But at a certain point, it stops really giving you like emotional beats about them. And it just tells you like, they talked about this pop, pop. They talked about this recent movie. They talked about this piece of music. Then they had a beer and like, then they talked about this piece of music. And I'm just like feeling like I'm reading a list of the interactions that two people had without actually sort of seeing those people and like getting a sense of what they're like and why, why they care about each other or don't. Like, I couldn't tell you if I thought like, I don't know if by the end of the book, they like how much they care about each other. I, I don't know that they know, but I don't, I feel like I could have a, I don't feel like I have a sense of that. And see, and, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Well, it's just, it, it's, it's very, it's very difficult for me to like, um, believe in them, you know, like as fictional things, it's very difficult for me to like, accept that they like have this like quote unquote real fictional existence like they you know because I just keep thinking to myself well but like would they (laughs) so I feel like you know at the risk of getting you know too personal (laughs) which I don't want to do really you know like saying something for me on this podcast like the relationship like their type of relationship is one that I feel like I have experienced before. I mean, not uh, obviously a lesbian relationship, um, but the the emotional beats that their relationship goes through this kind of like, 
sort of like starts off as in some ways this kind of like passionate toward affair where it's not really even about the other person so much as like I'm in this weird place and this other person is and like I can kind of use them in this way not in an abusive way but just in a like you know it's less about them and more about me for the both of them um and then that turning into a bit of a codependent relationship right where like you start this relationship in this place of like you know both like I am very emotionally vulnerable right now but I am and I am using this other person to satisfy my emotional needs while not actually opening up that emotional vulnerability to them in any way and in fact trying to hide it as much as I can that turns into this like I need this person not I care or know this person really quickly and so there's a point where like Tara's broken into the building Kate has and she's looking at Nick's tried to like break into this other building and she is standing on the top floor of this building that she's gotten into ever after having said like no you go to that one and I'm doing this one and she's standing watching her like girlfriend out in the cold like 14 stories and half a block away like deterministically still trying to get into this building and she decides like I really like this about this person I'm going to be better to them like I have to I'm deciding right now I love them and there's something so emotionally real about that to me of like I am standing in this building like with these like multiple layers of glass and like distance and space between me and this other person I'm watching them do something they don't even know that I'm watching them do and I'm deciding that like this relationship is a good relationship and like that to (laughs) me has this like you know so kind of like it's almost too on the nose it's so like well realized for me so like i i definitely felt that like all of that stuff made perfect sense to me and it's in this way that's kind of i think maybe hard to describe but like i like they're them sitting at bars and just like talking about pop and like not talking about themselves like yeah that's that element of that relationship like that's that's where that goes at some point (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I do think that was a good scene. Like, I, I really liked that moment a lot. Um, that was, to me, like, more the exception, I guess. And, and I feel like one interesting thing about all of it is kind of it, it relates to the philosophy, you know? And I want to ask you guys about about the sort of the situation as philosophy. Oh, we haven't even gotten with. into that yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, I know, right? <laughs> like, part of, part, of this, part of this for me is that I, like, I don't see, I don't see how anyone is that into uh, like situationism to me is a very dry and sort of interesting academic subject. And I have no idea how somebody could be obsessed with it. And I, I accept that there are people who are obsessed with it. Like there, I, I observe this in the world. And so, you know, like I think in real life, there are people who have been obsessed with these things. And so it's like, clearly like I'm the one that that's not getting something here, (laughs) but like what I want, I think what I wanted from this book was something like that with their relationship where like, okay, I I get that like people are experiencing, people are experiencing a thing that maybe I haven't directly experienced, but I don't, um, without having experienced it, like I'm not getting it just from this book. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like I do. I'm not, I'm not learning about it from this book. I'm just being sort of listed some things that like maybe those things will resonate with someone else, but they, they don't happen to resonate with me. And the same is true with the, with the philosophy when they're sitting around talking about situation and they're talking about derive and, and, and all these things, like 
Um, I just thought to myself, like, okay, yeah, all right, that sounds interesting, I guess. But <laughs> I, I so wasn't like into it, you know. In our uh, post read of Stars in My Pocket, like Grains of Sand, Matt, you made this really interesting comment about like reading a love story in a situation where you don't actually participate in the love story is kind of difficult where like you don't actually love either of the individuals. And so like there's this kind of awkward feeling towards that type of reading, that type of romance. And I felt somewhat similar about the like uh, quote unquote nonfiction elements of this book the like info dumpy or like what i don't know how to describe it exactly but the like historical and kind of like you know like pedagogical elements of the book where i i think i agree to you to some extent where like i didn't find myself obsessed with this stuff and thus and thus wasn't obsessed in the way that like the characters were and so i i i I guess I like I empathize with you there. And I think that with the especially with the kind of like philosophical element of like, frankly, I'd never heard of the situationist before. I still don't fully understand like what is true and what's not true about them because I didn't bother to do any research on my own. A lot of it. Almost all of it. Uh, Everything up to the new situationist is true. Okay. Okay. Pretty much. Uh, that's that's actually so. I I reading the book assumed a lot less of it was true than that. So that's really interesting because the one thing I did look up was about um, Antoine uh, 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 whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like that is completely fabricated, like yeah. from whole cloth. Uh, and it was the only thing I looked up while reading it because I was so interested in the idea of like making fake maps for explorers. I was like, I hope that's true. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, I loved that idea. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I could not find anything about that happening. Uh, yeah. but, but you know, outside of like, I'm sure a bunch of that shit happened in much smaller ways. Um, but yeah, so I, I like I, I empathize with you there because those elements were kind of like I did wasn't obsessed. But I could also like, I guess, understand how someone would be about like all of it. I, I, I don't know. I don't okay. know. Yeah, ben, okay. I'm sorry. We it's both kind of talked over yeah. to hear you. Here. All right. So the thing, is, the thing is that neither of you are on like RPG writers Twitter because <laughs> because what the definition of play is and what play has to do with capitalism and how we can build better play spaces is literally all anybody talks there talks about there um (laughs) that is cool (laughs) and so you're like what's really funny is is like i kind of feel a little bit like a little bit like some of these characters must feel which is like you're you're sitting here talking about like how how can anybody be like obsessed with the new situationalists? And I'm like, okay, I got five people to introduce you to, <laughs> who like who like may, totally, who totally. like maybe don't care about the situationalists, like or know about that branch of philosophy, but are sort of retreading the same ground that they are right now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things like the new situationalists are very concerned with that is like very interesting to me is like how do we how do we make spaces for play? And so like for a lot of these characters, especially Molly Metropolis, like this whole thing is like one big joke. Right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. she how I don't know how to say this, but like she like 
like her whole life is something where she is setting herself up where she can play in spaces that she wants to play. But in order to do that, she has to like very rigorously enforce rules and regulations around those spaces in order to make those spaces to keep and maintain those spaces. And I think that's one of the things that like the situationalists structure with is like, they want to build new map Babylon, which is a city where only artistic play happens where nothing, nothing happens that is not artistic play. But the, but in order to have that, they have to mm-hmm. rigorously rigorously enforce the boundaries around this play space, which is something that like RPG people, like people who are designing RPGs right now, are like very much struggling with because you want you want to inc- create a play space where you really want people to come in and to rearrange things and ask questions and pick up like the tools that you have given them and make something really creative. But in order to do that, you have to very clearly define what the play space is and you have to like take care of the people who come into the play space. And <laughs> I, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just arriving at this thought as I'm talking. So forgive <laughs> me. Um, But like, one of, one of the, like, really big arguments that, like, well, not arguments, but things that come up, that come up a bunch, is, like, how do you best protect players in a play space? Because play can get real, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the failures of the new situationalists in this book, or, like, is that they, they fail to protect the people who, like, sort of, like, get involved in the play that they have made. And so some of like the some of the characters who hurt the most people, like Molly Metropolis or like or Tear, I think that's how we're pronouncing it. Like um Yeah. Kate, yeah. Yeah, Caitlin Kate. Caitlin Tear. Yeah, Caitlin Tear. <laughs> yeah, I've just been saying Kate for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> um like uh like the they hurt the most people because they they fail to protect people while they are engaging in play. Right. Because for like right. the, the search for Molly Metropolis is a game for tear. Like it's pretty explicitly said in the text. And like the mm-hmm. search for the new situation list is a game, like is an obsessive game for Molly Metropolis. And then you get to like the weird epilogue of this book. And like M- Molly, like the Kate DeBazio, <laughs> like the, the author is suddenly appears in the book as a character. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, is talking to Molly and is like, but what about your parents or Kate's family who think that they're dead? And Molly is just like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Like, right. like she, she's basically like, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, and, and so what you get is that, like, it happens a lot in the TTRPG space, which is that like people prioritizing their sense of play over other people's safety, mm-hmm. which yeah. is kind of the failure of this utopian vision that they've created. Oh, I love this reading. I think you're I think you're totally totally hitting it. I like the the, the thing that really bothered me about this was like the, the the exact thing that is so hard for me to understand why people are into is not so much the like I w- one of my favorite things about this book was learning about the situationists and like the 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 guide guide to board and his like constellation of other artists around him. Like that was really interesting. And I think all of their ideas are interesting. But the problem that I had was that the the new situationists and all of the sort of characters that exist in the modern world in the current day part of the book, like none of their personal actual as written interest in the situationist like seems like like a something that I understand. Like they 
you know, the, the type of play that they do does not seem fun to me. <laughs> like the apartment, the, 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 the architecture that, that, um, that, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, um, Nick. Nick, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Nick Berliner. But yeah, Nick Berliner, the architecture that he designs, like the, the especially the, 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 the piece where you open the door and you can fall right down into the room below. Mm-hmm. Like, that doesn't seem fun at all. I don't see how that's playful. Like that seems dangerous and it sucks. <laughs> Man, I can tell you like were not a part of the like Bushwick rave scene at the like time this novel was getting written. Yeah, no, I, I, I recognize that I'm like I'm the like obnoxious prude in this scenario. Like I <laughs> I recognize that like there are plenty of people who like actually do think that's fun. I I, I I'm I I I, I, right. I get it. But I just kind of of like like when i was reading that i was like oh man am i supposed to think that's cool like <laughs> right um yeah no i do think like as as someone who you know did go to a lot of like you know or not a lot but like my fair share of like you know bushwick or greenpoint warehouse raves and that kind of thing and the sort of like space right after this novel was like set in so like the 2011 2012 2013 kind of era like i guess i really get that sort of architectural play like a lot of those spaces right like you're designing these like effervescent like party spaces like these spaces that will exist for essentially one night um that are like often like a lot of artists coming together to curate both like a sound and smells and places to be um often there are like these large like tactile installations in these places some of them might be more or less dangerous like you might be you know i mean like again like this gets called out in the text, right? Like Molly names herself after a party drug, right? Like she names herself after MDMA, right? Like oftentimes in these spaces, like you're taking lots of different drugs. Maybe you know what all of them are. Maybe you don't, maybe you're taking like different combinations. Maybe you're not. And like that, is all that sense of like dangerous play, right? There's all this sense of like, we're designing a space that's meant to be comfortable for everyone, but also like you can't actually control everyone in this space and you well, can't even like yeah, control I mean, your own body in the same way. I, I, I understand that. I think like the sort of topological interest is something I get. Like the idea of designing these sort of shapes and tunnels and like objects that work not the way they're supposed to is like very appealing to me. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's the, cool, the part cool. the part about it that like kind of is is not I don't quite get is the part where it's not actually comfortable where it's like designed to trick you like where the where the thing that's supposed to happen is like you're supposed to be tricked and then you're you'll fall out you'll fall fall where there's no floor. no I think you're misinterpreting the the point is not to trick you the point is to trick other people right this is this place <laughs> where what Ben is talking yeah. about it like it comes into play like. I it, it's fun because I know the secret and the people <laughs> I want to know the secret know the secret and people like Ali and um and what's her name uh the p name the the dancers don't know the secret and like they're kind of mean and I don't like them and maybe one of them falls like, yeah that's and, and the indeed play that and happens fun. and they like break right. a leg and or like, something you know and again like there, this is this kind of amoral reading of this like I'm not trying to say like oh that's good and we should aspire to those kinds of ideals but like that like I think you're mis reading what's play and like where the play is and it the play is not that like oh, that's I don't definitely know true the yeah uh, I, I i'm definitely not getting it like <laughs> I, I have i have so many thoughts about like games and theater and like the 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 like the 
how that relates to this book. And, like, the two things I'm really thinking about are, like, okay, in, in TTRPGs, there are two concepts that sort of, like, get tossed around a lot. And one of them is the concept of the magic circle, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that, like, games, when you enter a place, and I don't necessarily agree with this, but I have to describe it in order to, <laughs> to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, legit, like, legit. Which is that, like that games exist inside a magic circle which is that like you enter a play space mm-hmm. and and there it is a world in out there's a world outside of the play space and outside of the game that exists but inside the play space is a is like an enclosed world that exists inside like a magic circle and that when you all when you all like sit down to agree to play to a game you are sitting down inside a magic circle right that excludes mm-hmm. the outside world and includes the inside world. And I think like what a lot of these characters are enamored by is maybe not even the situationalists themselves, but the idea that, that you can create an architectural magic circle, right? Yeah. Like mm. that, like Berliner's apartment where only he can find his way through the series of rooms. Just going to say that. Yeah. Like, and like that he, he has, de- he has created a, a place to live in that is a metaphor, mm-hmm. like a, a literal architectural magic circle, right? Oh, and also a place that like he can, he and his sexual partners can destroy for their sexual pleasure and then he'll like come back the next day and it will be fixed. Right. And so there's another, there's another concept that gets brought up a lot, which is the idea of bleed, right? Which is like when the game, mm-hmm. when the game breaks out, the breaks out of the magic circle, Right. Like what happens when you're playing a romance game and you're and the flirting gets a little too real or or what happens when you're playing a horror game and you start to get scared for yourself, not just for the characters. Right. And Mm -hmm. and like the thing is, is that the new situationalists want both at the same time. Right. They want the magic circle. They want the feeling of it being part of an exclusive club, but they also want the magic circle to bleed out into the real world and to be real. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and sort of the, the sort of the thing is the, like the, the common wisdom in the TTRPG space is that like, if you are going to play a game that requires a magic circle and not every game does, right. Like a lot of LARPs or like fun party games don't, have a magic circle right but if you're going to play a game that requires a magic circle then you have to maintain you have to manage bleed you have to like take breaks and talk to each other about like how are you feeling are you okay is this too real what level of like realness are we at right like Mm -hmm. are you are you hurt am i hurting you is like if my character is mean to you are you going to be thinking that I'm going to be mean to you? Or like, is it hurt? Like all that kind of like complicated and hard to have conversation. And then if you're going to have a game that requires a magic circle that you have to manage bleed, but that you can also say, okay, well, we're going to sit down in a game and it's not going to have a magic circle. It's going to be just about us. And it's going to be about playing with us. But that means embracing bleed and the possibility that you are going to get hurt. Like one of my close friends, uh, Sashariano, um, they wrote a game which is called a full bleed game, which is a game where you are in a room and you're in a dark house and you have to describe the monster that is hunting you literally. <laughs> and and it's and it's about embracing the fact that you are putting yourself in like a, a semi-literal danger <laughs> in order to play the game. Right. And and so the thing is, is that like this new situationalist, they want the magic circle, but they 
also don't want to have to manage bleed. Like they don't want to have to manage the problems that are coming up. They want to be able to break things and then come back the next day and have them fixed. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's this is the naivete coming back again. I mean, I did find that about Berliner to be like quite an interesting character detail, like the idea that the way he has the, the way he set up his apartment is so that there will be these people that will come by and fix it. Like, and so that he can keep breaking it as much as he wants. I mean, that's that is to me like a very I, I really like calling out that detail because it really captures a lot about how this whole organization seems to think about the world, you know, like mm-hmm. indeed, like their goal isn't just to make New Babylon. It's to eventually like, you know, do more <laughs> right? or, or like the terrorist attack that they committed. Right. Where they mm-hmm. they were trying to like they were they had like this hypothesis that you could have zero casually zero that you could commit terrorist attacks without ever hurting anybody right yeah which is not true like you just (laughs) you just can't right Right. like yeah um right and well this idea that they can you know i they like some of that felt like they got so good at perfectly controlling their own environment, like so good at like perfectly manicuring the like inside of their magic circle. Right. That they forgot that like outside of the magic circle, like things are a lot more complicated. Yeah. I, yeah. I I'm obsessed with this detail. Like when the, like there's the whole chapter where they're talking about Berliner and uh, Krauss's relationship. And I, I, I mm-hmm. I'm very interested in that. And I think it's one of the most like poignant emotional beats in the story because he is so, dedicated to her yeah right. i really liked their their relationship made uh, a lot of sense to me and and to be honest like gina and well anyway sorry go on go on <laughs> <laughs> well oh like oh just like we're like they talk about how like kraus was told that there was an advance team that cleared out the stations right but like how real was that like what the fuck was going on there <laughs> right mm-hmm. like yeah what, that doesn't really make sense does like, it like like they had people who could just go into the stations when they were locked and like leave the doors open. Like, are they paying off guards? Like, is there really an advanced team? Like how real is this like sense of play that they are constructing? Like they are constructing games for each other to play except with real world stakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess, you know, like I, I don't know. I, 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 I struggle with this stuff because like, to me, that's actually some of the most real stuff about like, I like this stuff in the book because I think those questions are like good, messy ones to have, right? Like they are uncomfortable questions where like the conversations are going to kind of hurt people probably, but are also probably worth having as long as everyone is on the same page about that. And like, I don't know, like I keep going back to the, there's this game I mentioned in the, um, in the pre-read called fight truck. Uh, and I, I, after the pre-read, I like went back and read it again. It was actually something I've been thinking about while reading this novel and having this conversation because so the way the game works is that you, um, uh, you get a bunch of queer people together and you rent a U-Haul. One person drives the U-Haul and everyone else fights in the back of the U-Haul until everyone's done. <laughs> That, that's the game those are the rules of the game right is that like you pick people up in a u-haul everyone gets put in the back the driver gets to decide where you drive and everyone has to fight when you're in the back of the truck did you, did you say all the people are queer is that relevant yes, that's, or is that that's, just like that's part of the game that is because it's it's so so the point of the game is not to be played right like the point right. of the game is not right. is not like go out and do this the point of the game is like it's it's a it's a queer person who wrote the game who is like writing a 
about like certain feelings about being queer in the real world, certain feelings about like identity and like anger at your own community and like what it means to be safe and still fight with other people, what it means to not be safe with other people, but have like agreed together to not be safe. So it's relevant in the sense that like, that's what that person who wrote the game is like thinking about and writing about. Like it's, is it relevant whether like that's what you take with it reading it? Like, no, maybe not. Um, But like, I guess, I guess that game and that sort of like, like the point of this is that it's dangerous and the point of it is that you will get hurt. Yeah. Like the point of the game is that you will get hurt. Uh, I think is like a useful one in some ways. Like that's a real emotion, right? Like yeah. whether or not that's a real game you should play, that is a real game that all of us play. <laughs> mm, yeah. No, that's really interesting. I think that's, that's a, uh, that's really cool. And I love, I love hearing about uh, game art like that. I think another another thing that I was just thinking when you were saying that is, you know, there's a there's a there's an experience that I have playing certain kinds of games um, where the like tactile manipulation of the objects of the game, like say it's a board game or say it's some sort of game that uses objects of some kind, like the tactile manipulation is is like appealing and the sort of mental manipulation of the mental objects is also appealing. Like you get points and it's fun to get points or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. but at the end of the game, I feel like I had a, an experience that had like no emotional nutritional value. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's maybe a little, that's like, I wouldn't say that about this book. That's like too strong of a statement to say about this book, but I, that's maybe the sort of direction that I feel I'm, I'm going like in, in some of the description of the play in this book. It's like, it's like, I wanted more of something, of some nutrient or mm-hmm. some thing um, in the game that is this book or the interlocking like descriptions of games that is this book um, that I didn't quite like taste at any point. Um, and like my my sort of idea about why that might be for me personally, at least, is that it has to do with some of the some of the the um the objects in this game are these fictional characters and some of the things that happen in this game are that they they like make choices that affect their own lives and other people's lives mm-hmm. and some of those choices made more sense to me than others i was realizing as you were as you were talking both of you um that i do think like kate and gina's relationship like i get why they're together I think the thing that I don't get is why they spend their time together, like hunting after Molly and why um, Kate leaves. Those are the things that I don't that I don't get as well. Like I could imagine reasons for why they would do that, like but I don't feel like I'm getting it from the book. And so it's just kind of like me bringing that to the to me, adding that element, you know, but. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I, I, I don't know. What do you think? Hmm. I don't know. I was thinking about, like, why I like to write games. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, there's there's lots of reasons I like to write games. Like, I mean, there's the part of the thing is it's, like, a very accessible art form. Like, a, a fully realized game is, like, 10 pages, right? Like, or, like, you, you can do, like, a, a, a game that's, like, hundreds and hundreds of pages. Like, they're, they exist out there. But, like, Star Wars for game for one is, like, 12 books or whatever but like but that like i can i can create someone who's a big fan of those kinds of games like oh they're out there <laughs> yeah yeah like but like but that like I, part of it is that, that it's accessible for me to make right for people yeah that like yeah 
But like, but like at the same time, like one of the reasons, one of the specific reasons I really like playing games is that I like I love the feeling of playing with mechanics, right? And like a lot of times I'll just lay in bed mm-hmm. at night and like think about oh what happens if I have six options instead of eight right Mm -hmm. for the players or Mm -hmm. what happens if i change the dices dice i'm using or like what happens if i have another player write this card and then another player use it right and like playing around that and a lot of this book feels like that like that the author debasio has like chosen a bunch of of playing blocks to play with and like Mm -hmm. Is, is, like, doing this ongoing thought experiment of what if we put all these, like, what if we, like, put all of these things in a book, right? And, like, m- talked about utopia with them, right? And then, like, I, I also wonder, and I don't know if this is smart or stupid. So, like, <laughs> bear with me, but, like... <laughs> I mean, that's, like, the catchphrase of our podcast, so, like, you're... <laughs> no worries. <laughs> but, like, okay but like this this book is so much about the experience of like of conspiracy and also of listening to music and like i can almost imagine like kate DeBazio like laying in bed listening to janelle Monet or beyonce or selena right and mm-hmm. like making up this little like playbook story about what the lives of people like this must be like Right. Or like, what if there was a big secret right. be- behind like the music that we listen to? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I can I can imagine that really easily. And then, you know, you add a dash of noir, like postmodern noir mystery, you know, and it's and, and those are a lot of there's a lot of cool elements. You know, I there, there I have been overly down, I think uh, I there, there were a lot of things that I liked about this book. Um and uh, I could, I should, I should maybe like focus on that for a second because like, so I, I think for example, the, the noir mystery element of it, like actually worked um, pretty well. I thought like, I really love, I love like nested narrative stories where we're trying to figure out what's going on, but then like at every turn, the whole nature of the question, what's going on just keeps being challenged. Like, that's cool. I I'm always down for that. And adding an element of philosophy is I think the glue you need to make that those pieces like stick together in a pleasing way. Like I think some of the best, this is like a, another random noir theory. I think some of the best like noir works because it because it asks big philosophical questions among the other questions that it asks so so i'm curious matt like i agree obviously this book is a mystery is it a noir i i wouldn't have said that yeah so um it's not only that i don't think but the reason i the reason i bring that up is because it's dark and violent and like you're not sure whose side people are on you know what I mean? Okay. Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I get that. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. it's other things too, but I mean, a lot of the 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 noir, a lot of what noir is to me, has to do with um, postmodern mysteries. Like they're very closely related, and I think like a lot of, I, I mean, the the word noir was coined by a postmodern philosopher. So it's, I don't mm-hmm. think it's a it's a sort of a, a, a strange thing for me to think that. But you know, it's the idea that like, you know, we don't understand what's going on here. We don't know who to trust. Some violent stuff might happen, 
but we'll push forward into the mist and see where we get, you know? And like the whole time we're, we're, we're the whole time it's, it's driven by some very like concrete emotional thing or some, you know, like I got to do the thing because revenge, or I got to find the person because love or, you know, whatever, something like that. Mm-hmm. And in this case, you know, I think, uh, you know, there, there, you know, I obviously have, have some issues with the sort of the driving, the driving of the narrative, but like the actual construction of the machine of the narrative is like really cool to me. I, I think that the, the use of situationist philosophy and like the way that that interacts with discussions of Chicago is really cool. Um, one of like one of my favorite things about this book is how little I know about a lot of the things that this book is really interested in. You know, like I've never been to Chicago. <laughs> like I don't know anything about like situationism. Um, and the idea that we're going to take a bunch of things that I don't know about and we're going to like just kind of like turn them on their sides and see how they fit together. That's really it was I had a lot of fun with all that stuff. Yeah, I think like I think in that way, like we've been we've all been we've all been kind of hard in the book or at least i feel like i (laughs) i have um yeah but i think in that way like it it if its quest is to think like okay well what if there was a world in which there was much deeper philosophical underpinnings under the like pop that we that we ingest like as pop eaters like as people who like in consume pop culture right like what if there's like if this if the purpose of this book is to construct a fantasy world in which there are very very deep like philosophical and mysterious and playful underpinnings to the pop that we consume then it it has reached its goal very conclusively and that it's like i think you were right i can't remember which one of you said it but one of you is right to call it a fantasy because like it's it's a fantasy of of there being more stuff <laughs> right mm-hmm. and like yeah like and i i i imagine that like especially with some people there really are like really deep like philosophical and art manifest manifesto like or like that some of the some of the pop songs that we engage with emerge from a like a genuine sense of wanting to move pop forward like mm-hmm. I, I really do believe that with like Beyonce or Jan Elmanay or like a lot of the non non white non mainstream well they're both mainstream but like non white non straight like pop culture figures like I really do believe that there's like that's at least some of it comes from like a, a genuine place of of strong artistic belief but mm-hmm. that but that like this this book very very well very much succeeds in creating a world in which that sort of like strong manifesto like belief in art is all there is behind the pop that we consume rather than like rather than commercialism or capitalism or the driving of studios right mm-hmm. and yeah and there's also this element of like you know like there, it does get into some of these maybe easy narratives of like, oh, well, the artists have their like art perfectly in mind and the, you know, studios have just money in mind. And like, you know, there's these two competing, like totally at odds kind of entities when like that that's not true. Like artists also want to make money. And like, you know, a lot of people get into working in music as a business because they like music. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. 
Nah, man, you just sold out by saying that. <laughs> I, I, big sellout here. <laughs> what a sellout. Yeah, I think, you know... Yeah, Ben, I don't know. I, I think I think I think you're right with that. I do think too, like I it's funny because it's in some ways it's like it's a frustrating book, I think, for all three of us. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like we've all been kind of like like to your point, like there's this triangle where each of us like likes two things and dislikes a different third three thing. And it's like each of us is kind of like there on two out of the three, and it's different for all of us. Yeah. And like yeah, because interesting. The thing that worked least well for me was actually the kind of like experimental narrative mm-hmm. thing. Like, I actually like, I I had this feeling reading this book. Like, the stuff that I was most frustrated with was this sense of like it's written like a nonfiction book. And there were times where I honestly did feel like I kind of wish I were just reading a nonfiction book. Like I don't know if it's doing enough with the fictionalized and metafictional stuff to be worth reading a fiction novel instead of just reading like a, you know, nonfiction book about stuff that I like. I definitely had that feelings a few times. Yeah, no, I actually do. I actually do know what you mean. I mean, I, I, uh, I didn't want to look anything up until after I'd read it. But after I read it, I did look stuff up. And I felt as I was reading nonfiction about Guy Debord and, and, and all this other stuff, like I felt like, yeah, I, I want to read. I would read a book. I would read like a, a good book about mid-century, like non mid-century, like out of the mainstream, like French Marxist cults. Like I would love a good book mm-hmm. about that right now. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I, I guess. All right. Um, time to air a pet peeve I have. It's pet peeve oh, hour. Wonderful. Please do. Okay, yes. okay. So- I love this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this book falls into one of my biggest pet peeves. And I think it, it, it actually, like, doesn't annoy me. But, like, talking about it now, talking about, like, the meta-narrative stuff now just reminds me how annoyed I get whenever... Okay, so I think that, like, there are some very, very, very good nonfiction podcasts, right? There's, like... Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. there there's serial there's like shit town there's um what's the one about rhode island's corruption rhode island like they're, they're like there's vi- and there's a bunch that aren't as famous or doing as well like they're they're very very good investigative reporting nonfiction podcasts and then there are a bunch of fiction podcasts that are trying to imitate that feeling right oh right. yeah oh yeah <laughs> but, wait I, I can tell this is going to resonate with both of you. But it's like the moment that people start writing these sort of like fictional reporting stories, they forget what actually makes reporting compelling, right? Oh, interesting. Yep. And so, like, every single fictional reporting podcast, like, suddenly is like, oh, and the reporter gets drawn into it and discovers that actually they're, like, part of the prophecy. Or, like, <laughs> actually, like, or they start getting hunted because they're doing this reporting and it's, suddenly it's a thriller about this reporter. Yep. And I'm like, well, that. I listen to nonfiction stuff all the time where the reporting isn't the story and I am like deeply compelled about it by it. Like the thing mm-hmm. that makes like serial interesting is in part like Sarah Koenig's like dispassionate, like like her like light connection to the story rather than her like heavy connection to the story. Oh yeah, Crime Town's like that too. Only right. very light connection. And and then like and so like you can tell a compelling story 
with like stakes without having the stakes be like, okay, the reporter's gonna die. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that the story like kind of does like a better version of that by making everybody like by making it be like, okay, it's like a it's like a unraveling thread. Like everybody who starts investigating the story eventually leaves. <laughs> right. Or eventually dies. Like and makes mm-hmm. it a little bit more interesting. But at the same time, like you could have read in like the same sort of fictional book, right? the same fictional story about Molly and the new situationalist, but like sort of removed the, (laughs) removed the thriller aspect and like just told a dispassionate, like nonfiction story about like the disappearance of like about how this like death on a yacht into like integrated with like the disappearance of a pop star. Oh man, I'd be so into that. (laughs) (laughs) And, And it's like, and it's like, I think that like that she's like the author's trying to do something very complicated with this metatextual narrative, but at the same time, she went into it and the moment she started writing like about Cyrus and stuff, like she forgot what makes reporting and nonfiction compelling. You know, that's really interesting that you said because I think like definitely we agree on some of the things that didn't work as well for us. And I do yeah. think that your 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 suggestion for like a different version of this book, I think that would rule. Like but I think there are other ways you could fix it too. Like I oh, think there's other, other directions you could go. And I do think like the metatextual stuff, you could do more with it. Like to me, the issue isn't so much the the use of like postmodern tropes yeah. as it is the characters in them. And so I feel like if if the characters worked a little better, then that would also work. But right. see, I just disagree with yeah. that statement. <laughs> like yeah. I, I don't, I had no problem with the characters and their motivation. So yeah. no, it's, again, it's, we're, we're the three points of the triangle. I think the characters were like, <laughs> okay, like maybe needed a little bit of work, but ma- we're better than Matt thinks they are, you know? And right. like, um, you know, and I don't know. I just like, I think it's very, I think it's like, I don't know. I forgot what I was supposed to say. I had a whole other tangent, but it's gone. <laughs> we have so many tangents. Oh, so, <laughs> so I mean, many. yeah, so, sorry, Matt. I, also, I didn't mean to like fully cut you off there. I feel like I did. Oh, no, no, like, it's it, all good. It is. Go ahead. Um, so I was just going to ask, like, I was curious, like we've sort of not quite ever said this directly, I think, but like, what did you, what do you guys think about the philosophy of the new situationists? directly like do you think there's a version of that that like is compelling in the real world do you think that like do you think that like for example maybe some some real things should take more inspiration from the original situationists do you think that like there's a like hole this could fill a niche you know that this could fill somewhere in pop culture or in culture more generally I, I'll start just because uh, this will be pretty quick. Uh, honestly, I was kind of bored by that whole thing to the point that, like, I don't even fully remember, like, what their philosophy, like, the original situation is philosophy was supposed to be. Like, I, I found it, um, yeah, just kind of, like, not... Uh, what's the word? I guess really relevant to my interests or I had a hard time connecting it in a way that was super relevant to my interests personally. 
So, so that's my answer is like, I don't, I don't really know. Cause I don't even like really, I'd have a hard time describing. I'll say, I'll say one was. thing that I read randomly. Uh, I believe this was on the, their Wikipedia page. I read this, um, that one of the criticisms leveled against situationists back in the sixties by other, uh, far left groups and in particular by this anarchist group in England I think was that they were needlessly overcomplicating some like decent simple ideas with their <laughs> philosophical mumbo jumbo <laughs> um and that like the core ideas of situationism were like that architecture should be inviting and playful that cities should be designed in a way so that people can constantly feel rejuvenated by moving through them and play and like the experience of play is good because it brings this like important element to our lives that we don't get otherwise and we need to integrate that into everything that we do like these core ideas you can say them in very simple language you don't need a bunch of complex philosophy that was a criticism leveled against this the original situationists yeah that so resonate? i guess i i that resonates yeah i definitely like like kind of glossed over some of that stuff which is too bad because i really like reading about architecture and philosophy and this kind of stuff but it did but this also came to some of the way i read the book which was like i don't know how much i um like I had a difficult time with the sort of non-fictional elements like I described partially because I didn't know how much was fictional and non-fictional and I didn't really know what the point of them was yet like what it was I was reading about yet and so this comes down to some of my like criticism of the pacing of like I didn't know what the mystery and story was before we got to that stuff so I wasn't fully engrossed in it whereas like when you get to later and there's an element where like you know it's like she looking through this basement and there are these maps on the wall and we get a digression about like the history of those kinds of maps that I enjoyed a lot more both because I really like maps in particular and also because like it connected to the story being told in a way that like made more sense of why I was learning it right then hmm. yeah what do you think Ben what do you think about situationism today I'm kind of I think I kind of like resonate with that criticism that they're like needlessly overcomplicating things, but I I think that they. Okay, I don't. Like I think that like it is a very. Okay, I'm I'm trying to decide how much like, TTRPG like Twitter <laughs> drama I want to air on this podcast. <laughs> oh, All you want to air drama? All right. Well, whatever you feel comfortable with. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Um, I don't even remember who it was, but uh, so I'm not really calling anybody out. But there was a big conversation a while ago when somebody said, okay, by designing games and designing bits of play, are, what we, are we actually like participating in the perpetuation of our like dystopic capitalist state by creating parole feed? like <laughs> yeah this is an old this is an old question no this 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 question yeah. goes goes back to yeah yeah like and as I, long as there have been artists there have been artists asking themselves if they're just like if whatever they're you know committed to conveying in their art isn't actually just undermined by the very conveyance of the art yeah and so like it's a good question absolutely everybody piled on this person was like lol <laughs> lol no right like 
we play games because we enjoy them or we need breaks from our lives or because we this is like how we are choosing to interact with like complex like anti-colonial or anti-capitalist structures because like we can create hypothetical systems inside game worlds that we can't and like test them out and participate with them inside the game world in a way that Mm -hmm. we can't in the real world but like i sort of like kind of feel about the new situationalists in the same way this person kind of felt about the art I make, which is like, um, which is, I say that because I want to like dry, like I want to say that like I'm self-aware even as I say this, but like, I think like a lot of their, like, I really agree with a lot of the things that like get brought up in the book about them. Like them saying that like, Oh, the way traffic moves through a city and the way cars move through a city are like enforcing this like capitalistic idea of you have to go from place to place. Right. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or like, and I really agree with that. Or like, that because we live in these like built environments that we don't get a say in that like we are that's like stifling our ability to build spaces that would fit us personally at a level that we just don't have right Mm -hmm. like part of the privilege of some of these characters like the privilege of molly metropolis and her money is like that she is able to build berliner a space that he does not have to compromise his needs in order to exist in and like, mm-hmm. and it's like, I, in, in many ways, I am very interested in and very heavily agree with like that they're thinking that like the way that we have built our world now hurts us. Right. But then they start being like, okay, well, we need to build a city where people only play. And I'm like, well, I think that in some ways that annoys, ignores like the real plight of people who, with whom like the built city is actually actively harming now. <laughs> Right. And like it was actively harming people in the 60s and it's only gotten worse. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's only gotten less accessible to disabled people. It's only gotten more redliney. Right. It's only gotten like more segregated and more capitalistic. Right. And so I think that they have the situationalists have identified a very real and very painful problem. But their that their answer is okay. We're going to distract ourselves with play, and like that, our play is going to become sort of like we're going to create a magic circle in which we can change the way the world inside the magic circle works without actually like engaging with the the problems that we have identified as a whole. Right. And like, it's fair to say that like, in order to survive as somebody and be happy, that I want to play. I want to have a sense of play and I want to have a space that protects me. And like, I, I really like admire their physical fictional characters, but like at the same time, I still like admire like Berliner and Krauss's like absolute dedication to like creating spaces in which they can exist together mm-hmm. in the way they want. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, so you've identified these problems of like the capitalistic society that we have lived in and your solution is, um, well, we're going to go build in the utopia over there. Right. Or we're going to like blow up some train stations. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Rather than like, okay, well, can we create architecture like that is accessible to the public that can help change these things? Or Yeah, how can we help? Like right. how how can we open up the magic circle of these ideas to people? Yeah. Uh, and that's exactly why I brought up like Ayn Rand earlier, actually, because I, I do like in that sense of like, oh, we're going to build this utopia over there that you have to like agree to, you know, like metaphorically kill yourself to get to. 
it does have this sort of like Galt's Gulch thing of like, well, we'll take all the like scientists and artists and like, you know, we'll go do our own thing. Uh, We'll go build a better city for ourselves, not for the rest of y'all. And like, you can come to us if you want to. And like, there's something, you know, I find dissatisfying about that attitude. And, you know, you know, not to say that that's like the only attitude that the book is taking. Right? Like in oh, some no, no, ways, yeah. that's a really like mean way of like describing it. But I feel like that kind of taken to that logical conclusion. I, I don't know. It's something like, again, just like dissatisfying about it. So I, I agree with you there, Ben. Yeah, totally. Well, what do you think, guys? I feel like that's that talk of situationism is a good, maybe a good spot to wrap it up. Yeah, I, yeah. I had, I had maybe like one oh, yeah. or two more things that I wanted to just mention in passing. Yeah, let's do, do, do that. Man. Do it. Uh, uh, that I don't know if they need a lot of discussion. Uh, but things I, I, um, one is that like uh, there have been. So we talked about Chanel Monet. Uh, there's actually been a, a like while I was reading the book. Um, Roxanne Gay published a profile of Janelle Monet where they like hung out together a bunch of times. And you know, Roxanne Gay's a really good writer. Uh, I I would recommend like for folks who liked the pop stardom discussion we had and that in this book are just generally that's a really interesting um, piece. Like I, I recommend it. I still haven't finished the whole thing myself, but it's a it's a good kind of long reads thing. Uh, and then also. Um, and uh, so there's this artist, FKA Twigs, who I think in addition to Janelle Monet uh, was also the other artist I was actually thinking about the most when um, reading this book uh, in terms of like, she's a British woman. Uh, she is of mixed race. She's half black. She uh, gets pigeonholed into this like experimental R&B space even though like that's not how she thinks of herself partially because of her race it's like she's gone through a lot of these same struggles that like Molly does in the book um and there's a really interesting um video essay about her that this guy who goes by trash theory on YouTube uh he does like pop pop music video essays like one every week or two they're really good and his essay on fk twigs also came out while i was reading this book and i felt it was um another sort of like good fun like you know further exploration of these kinds of things in addition to like beyonce and selena and these other folks that we've mentioned so i'll link to both of those things yeah um, definitely the murder of selena wikipedia page is like very long and very interesting like (laughs) yeah (laughs) highly recommend i also right and that's the Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say for suggesting things um, like for suggesting profiles of pop of pop culture, people who like sort of like play into this sort of like larger discussion of like iconography and how you form yourself as a famous yeah. person. Like I would suggest reading uh, Rachel Symes uh, profile of Lady Gaga in the New York Times magazine, which is um, Lady Gaga isn't done metamorph like isn't done transforming yet, I think is its title. Cool. And yeah, we'll find this and link to it all in the show notes. And that's a and like it it like talks about like um how Lady Gaga like sort of changed her persona like right around the time that she was in uh whatever that movie is uh you know the one Star is Born, Born. Um, yeah. which I watched once and was so miserable about that I just never thought about it again. Um, <laughs> like um. And and no no it's just another it's another good piece of like talking about how people change their personas over time and I think it's really interesting. Interesting, cool. That's great. 
Yeah, Matt, do you have, I mean, the, the Wikipedia article, do you have any other sort of like yeah, pop, I mean, pop it's, culture profiles? It's just totally fascinating because it's, there's so many parallels to the sort of um, disgruntled aid part of the story and the actual, like, the actual reality of Selena's death which happened when we were alive, but I was completely unaware of. Um, yeah, I, this is the was, first time hearing of any of this, it's, actually. It's like, it was a huge thing and involved, actually, weirdly enough, George W. Bush at a certain point um, oh. when he was governor of Texas, because it all happened in Texas. Oh, or at least the, uh, you know, um, right. she was based in Texas. Uh, so there's just all these crazy connections to lots of different interesting parts of like uh, American society in the nineties that are really, there's like a really, there's religious connections. There's a lot of racial elements. There's a lot of politics. Um, and you know, I mean, if you don't already know about like Tupac, that's another one to look up because oh, yeah. that's a whole rabbit hole in a similar way. These are rabbit holes that are really, really interesting. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I will also say there's a lot of like real music mentioned in the book. And one thing that I just appreciated was uh, how much of that music is like the music I listen to or like listen to around the time that the book was getting written. You know, it's like Elliot Smith and DJ Shadow and, you know, all this stuff. Although my pick for favorite DJ Shadow off that album would be Organ Donor. Just shout out to that. Um, <laughs> but like, like, it was actually fun reading the book. I kept coming across some of these artists names being like, oh, I haven't listened to them in like five years and like pulling yeah. them up on Spotify, which was always like a fun uh, experience. That's funny. DJ Shadow was one of the few that I did listen to back then. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and it, was, it was so surprising who's who of like, yeah. you know, 22-year-old Adrian's musical tastes. I think the last thing this is a totally switched conversation topic, but like, totally. I think the last thing to contextualize sort of my, my change in relationship to the book is that I did attend and subsequently drop out of art school between when I started reading this book for the first time and when I finished reading this book, <laughs> um, which is, uh, I don't know. I think like I, I, when I first read this book, like I was deeply excited about the idea of being like an uncompromised artist. And then I went to art school and like dealt with transphobic professors and like, white acting majors who thought it was fun to punch walls to express their like inner torment or whatever <laughs> and like left and like kind of disillusioned with like i don't know how art turns like what art actually is mm. and like i don't know i just feel like that's important context for this conversation it's something that, like i should reveal to our listeners because like because <laughs> i was like oh yeah i'm so much i'm so much harsher on this book than i thought i would be and it's like oh no that's obviously just me having dropped out of art school <laughs> <laughs> well so with that i think um you know thank you ben for coming on and you know like i mean I, for all that we kind of critique this book i think it was a kind of great book to discuss in podcast totally. form as well <laughs> was, oh my god perfect pick <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no i discussing this book has been like so fun and now i just want to like yeah. I don't know. Just pick another book. Right. right. <laughs> well, you, you should definitely yeah. come yep. back. We can do no, that absolutely. Yeah. at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. No, thank you for coming on and picking this book. Thank and you just, so you much. Know, being, being you and hanging out. And like, this was, this was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. You're, uh, you're not going to get rid of me that easy. So. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. 
Um, cool. Is there anything else that anyone else wants to wrap up with, or should we outro? Okay, I'll outro. So, you know, as always, thanks to everyone for listening up until here. Uh, thanks to WJ for our music, which you're hearing right now, For to um, Noah Bradley at noahbradley.com for our artwork. Uh, you can find us at SpectologyPod on Twitter or email us uh, SpectologyPod at gmail.com uh, and we're at Spectology.com uh, to, to subscribe or, you know, podcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever, wherever the fuck you listen to podcasts, we should be on it. Um, yeah, thank you again, Ben. That's Roswell Writes at Twitter and um, was it roswellians.itch.io for yep. your games? Is that right? Okay, cool. And uh, yeah, so that thanks everyone. Uh, appreciate appreciate it and had fun talking about this book. Yeah, it was super fun. Thank you again for having me. Thank Absolutely. You. Peace out, guys. Bye.